On April 15, 2019, fire broke out in the roof of Paris's famous Notre Dame Cathedral. The fire spread rapidly through the wooden rafters of the 12th century monument, and by the time the fire was extinguished, the building's spire had collapsed and most of its roof had been destroyed. Its upper walls were severely damaged. This was a devastating fire in one of Paris's most famous landmarks, a building over 700 years old. What does it take to rebuild something like Notre Dame? Well, in the days following the fire, French President Macron promised that the uh, rebuilding would be completed by 2024 in time for the Paris Olympics. Well, that was optimistic, but far-fetched it turns out. In reality, new estimates say that it will take something like 15 to 20 years to rebuild at a cost approaching $8 billion. There aren't enough artisans in the world skilled in medieval construction to complete the project. And so current craftsmen will need to train 400 new quarrymen and carpenters and, and mortar makers and master stonecutters. That process alone takes up to 10 years. This is a monumental project, but something very dear to the people of Paris and indeed to the citizens of the world. Some things are worth rebuilding even at great cost. And as we open the Bible today, we'll see another story of rebuilding, even at great cost, a story which is relevant to our church as we look ahead at rebuilding in the coming weeks and months and years. So why don't you stick around and we'll find out what the Bible says about rebuilding in just a minute. Well, good morning and welcome to Yonville Community Church. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here, uh, and it is so good to have you with us, wherever you are watching or listening from. I'm so excited that in just two weeks from today, uh, we will be reopening our historic campus here in Yonville. Uh, it may not be Notre Dame, but it's taken almost four years for the historic reconstruction of our church building, uh, which was originally built in 1876. Uh, I can't wait to show it to you, but more than that, I can't wait to get back to face-to-face -face church community and the chance to start the next chapter in our mission to share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. So we invite you to join us for our homecoming service on Sunday 22nd of August, right here on our Yonville campus. We'll be joining for worship to dedicate the building and to dedicate ourselves to the mission. And we'll also be celebrating our return by sharing a catered lunch afterwards in our courtyard. Uh, we do hope you'll join us uh, in person or online. Of course, that's just the first Sunday. Going ahead, we would love you to be part of our church family and our church community. Uh, whether you're nearby and planning to attend in person, or if you're further away and plan to be part of our church via online activities. Um, either way, we're thankful for you. And we want to walk alongside you in your journey of faith. And so now's the time to let us know how you're planning to be involved so that we can organize our programs and activities and allocate staff and volunteers in all of the right areas. The best way to do that is to let us know via the Connect card. Just head to our website right here, yonvillechurch.org, and click on the Connect card link and let us know how you'll be joining us. If you have children or kids in your life, you'll want to head to the Kids tab of our webpage 
as well. That address is here. Uh, we are opening registration for our kids programs uh, on Sunday and uh, we would love for you to register your kids before you come. Uh, again, it'll be really helpful for us as we get ready to welcome you to our campus programs. Uh, well, that's enough news for now. It's time to switch gears and to turn our attention to God's Word. So why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as we open the Bible. Our Heavenly Father, you are the master builder, the creator and sustainer of the universe. As we open your Word now, will, will you build faith in us as we rebuild this church according to your plans and purposes? Uh, teach us and guide, uh, guide us and strengthen us for the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a short series that I'm calling Return. It's all about preparing ourselves for our return to church after the reconstruction project, uh, our return after COVID, and our return after a long period of being physically separated. Because I want us to set ourselves up for success as we return to a world that is not the same as it was 18 months ago. I want us to get our expectations right. And I want us to put our energy into what is most important. To do that, we're going to extract some lessons from the experience of God's Old Testament people when they returned to the Promised Land after 70 years in exile. So let me take you back in history to the great nation of Israel, God's chosen people. The Old Testament tells a story of a people that began with a promise. God's promise to a wandering nomad called Abraham. God promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation that he would give his people a land to live in, and that they would live under God's blessing and become a blessing to the whole world. Well, God kept that promise even when it seemed impossible. And from Abraham's descendants, God grew his people into a mighty nation. He gave them the land of Israel with Jerusalem as the jewel in its crown. He provided kings who brought peace and prosperity, first David and then Solomon. Uh, the great temple was built. And it seemed like God's blessing would remain forever. But the cracks started to show when Solomon began following the foreign gods of his many wives. And after his death, those cracks became a rift that ripped the kingdom apart, creating a northern and a southern kingdom, a people divided with hearts divided between worship of the true and living God and worship of the gods of the people around them. The great nation of Israel walked away from the God who made them great. And so God acted to turn their rebellious hearts back to him. God caused the northern kingdom of Israel to be overrun by the Assyrian Empire in 721 BC and its people taken away to be rehomed in foreign lands. And then in 586 BC, God sent the Babylonians to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem, the jewel, was sacked the temple destroyed, and the people carried off into captivity in Babylonia. Now, the once great nation lay in ruins, as did the symbol of God's presence among them, the temple in Jerusalem. In historical terms, we see empires rise and fall. And this must have looked like the end for the empire that Israel had become. But Israel was no earthly empire. And the God of Israel was no man-made God. His promises never fail. 
And so after 70 years, uh, 70 years after exiling his people for rebellion, God had mercy on his people. We read in 2 Chronicles 36 that the Lord moved the heart of the king of the next great empire, the Persian king, to allow the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. And so slowly the return began with those who were left. And that's where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was one of the exiled Jews living in Persia, a little bit like Daniel. And Nehemiah had risen to a position of prominence in the emperor's court. As the cupbearer to the king, it tells us in Nehemiah 1.11, Nehemiah was entrusted with the king's life, not only as his official wine taster, tested for poison, he was also charged with guarding the entrance to the royal apartment. The book starts with a disturbing report coming to Nehemiah and a desperate prayer. And Nehemiah is living in the emperor's palace in Susa. In a position of power, he's surrounded by luxury. But he hears report that his homeland, Jerusalem, is still in ruins, more than 10 years after the first exiles returned. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah 1 verse 3. Nehemiah hears about his homeland and it breaks his heart. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. I feel a little bit of empathy with Nehemiah at this point as a foreigner living in a country that's not my own. When we first moved to the US in 2019, Australia was being devastated by major forest fires. They lasted for months. They were so widespread that they were all over the world news. And my heart went out for my homeland, knowing there was nothing I could do from where I was except to pray. But for Nehemiah, the problem was more than just physical devastation. The physical state of Jerusalem was a reflection of the spiritual state of God's people. Spiritually, Israel was a wreck. And it sent Nehemiah to his knees as he wept and mourned and fasted and prayed for his nation. Not just for minutes, but over a period of days. His soul was profoundly disturbed by what he heard. Alan Redpath said of this passage, are our hearts ever stirred like that? Have you ever lost one hour of sleep over the tragic spiritual dearth of your church and your city? Has it ever kept you awake? And have you cried, oh God, what can I do about this thing? When I first heard about Yonkville Community Church, I did some research to find out what the area is like. Demographics, census details, religious heritage. And what I found out was profoundly disturbing to me. In all of the United States, the San Francisco Bay Area boasts the highest percentage of people who are unchurched or dechurched. That is, people who have no regular connection to a church or who used to go to church but have stopped going. That's what dechurched means. And the Lord wanted me to come here and replant a church. On paper, the, the odds are stacked up against us, just like the odds were stacked up against Nehemiah. How do you rebuild an entire city when there are only a few who remain on your side? How do you rebuild when resources are few and the workers are not plenty? 
Well, Nehemiah didn't start with strategy. He started in desperate prayer to the only one who can do what is impossible in human terms. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah 1 verse 5 to 6. Nehemiah brings the nation before the Lord. He confesses sin on behalf of his people. He acknowledges all of the way that all the ways that they have gone astray from the Lord's path. He knows that they don't deserve God's favor. And yet he calls on God to honor the promises that he made to Moses. Nehemiah prays verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah 1 verse 8 to 9. At the heart of God's promise to Moses, we see a spiritual principle which applies to us. No matter how far we are from God, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter what we have done, if we return to God, if we turn our lives and our actions back to Him in faithful obedience, then He will gather us and bring us back into His presence. And that's the promise that's at the heart of our church here in Yonville. We don't gather because we're perfect people or religious people or because we're upright or good. We gather because we don't want to be far away from God anymore. We don't want to live outside of His presence. We want Him to gather us and return us and restore us and rebuild us. That's the hope of Jesus that we want to share in the Napa Valley and beyond. This hope of being brought back to God and all the blessing that surrounds that promise. The flip side is the spiritual reality that a life lived away from God ends in an eternity away from God. That's not what God wants for any of us. He loves us so much that he sent his only son to die so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. But most people keep walking away, especially right here where we live. Is your heart breaking a little? You see, as we look out onto a city that is full of people who are far away from God, we need to pray for God's mercy. We need to pray for God's intervention. We need to pray that God would do amongst us in the Bay Area what is not humanly possible. And that brings us to the second big idea in the passage. When we pray God-shaped prayers, we get God-sized answers. As the cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah, he was in this unique position of influence. He was with the king throughout the day and probably into the evenings. But still, he prays and fasts and mourns and he waits four months before he finds the right time to bring his concerns before the king. In the month of Nisan and the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The 
king said to me, What is it you want? Nehemiah 2 verse 1 to 3. Nehemiah risked his life by bringing up Jerusalem with a king. And this is the leader of the world's greatest superpower at the time. If you've seen the film 300, it's about Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, And he's portrayed as this all-powerful figure. He commands armies and legions and this entourage of servants and slaves and bodyguards. The emperor was deified. He was treated as a god. And he believed that about himself also. So for Nehemiah to approach the king and to speak up, he does so at the risk of his own life. But after months of prayer, he knows that this is the only chance for his people. And so Nehemiah asks Artaxerxes' permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. And lo and behold, Nehemiah 2 verse 6, the king was pleased to send him. Do you know, sometimes when we pray for something, God makes us the answer to our own prayer, especially when it gets under, under our skin. You know, we pray it, we're so concerned for it. It's a prayer that is a God-shaped prayer. Nehemiah longed to see the fortunes of his people restored and the land rebuilt and God honored in the temple once again. And it seems God put Nehemiah in just the right place to be the one to carry out that task. And when you think about it, God has put us in just the right place to rebuild the Yonville Church. Not the physical building, that's uh, God has already been at work through a number of people who he put in just the right place to get the physical work of rebuilding done. But now the spiritual work starts. And we have a lot of rebuilding to do, especially living in the most spiritually barren area in the entire country. But God has put us right here, right now. He's provided us with a physical space to meet in. He's gathered you and he's gathered me into his motley crew And he's about to send us out to rebuild. And so the spiritual principle that we learn from Nehemiah 2 is that God will answer God-shaped prayers with God-sized answers. Nehemiah didn't just ask for permission to leave. He also asked for letters to guarantee his safe travel. He asked for timber from the royal forest to rebuild the city. And without even asking for it, the king also provided army officers and cavalry to accompany him. The Lord provided what Nehemiah needed. And in fact, I think he provided more than Nehemiah could have ever hoped for or imagined. And the reason, well, Nehemiah says in 2 verse 8, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. A few months ago, I was praying with one of the newest members of our church, Uh, Ever since I started as the senior pastor, I've been praying that God would bring us godly and mature and ministry-minded people uh, to help us rebuild this church. Uh, I was praying for 20 families to join us, and and I think the Lord has answered that prayer already. But anyway, I'm praying with this new church member, and I've explained the vision for the church and uh, the reasons for replanting and, and what I have as my ministry priorities. And this man prays. He says, Lord, prepare the first hundred families who would join this church. Um, Bruce, that was a bombshell prayer for me. It blew my little vision to pieces because you prayed for so much more than I was willing to ask for. But Bruce was right, wasn't he? We should ask for God to send us 100 families or 200 families, 50, 100, 200 kids for our kids' church program. And kids' church leaders, well, we're going to need dozens of them. 
and we'll need leaders for Bible groups and hosts for our Alpha course where people get to explore who Jesus is for the first time. Uh, We'll need people to reach out into our community so that we're a blessing in our town and in the Napa Valley and beyond. We'll, We'll need more rooms and we'll need more parking spaces. We'll need more buildings. We'll need more pastors to meet and pray with people. We'll need more church leaders who take on the responsibility of directing the church. All of that is possible. And in time, who knows what God might do as we mourn and fast and pray for the Napa Valley and as we share the hope of Jesus with everyone around us. In the short term, I think we should all be praying for 100 families to join us by the end of this year, both the churched, but also those who have very little church background, those who are far away from God. Pray that they'll be brought near. And do you know what? If it's a God-shaped prayer, then we can expect a God-sized answer. As Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Uh, Let's keep praying for God to grow this church. That brings me to my last point, which comes out of Nehemiah chapter 3. At some point, you just have to begin building with whatever you have in front of you. Nehemiah has come out of the wealth and opulence of the Persian Empire. According to archaeological finds, this palace at Susa, where Nehemiah lived, it was richly adorned with gold and silver and ivory and artworks. By contrast, Jerusalem was rubble. As Nehemiah inspected the city under the cover of darkness, there were places that were so damaged and broken down that his horse couldn't even get through because of the ruins blocking the streets. The walls were broken, the gates had been burned. How would you even start rebuilding something like that? Well, Nehemiah starts by gathering helpers. He tells them about the gracious hand of God on him and how the king had provided materials according to Nehemiah's prayers. And he says to them simply, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Nehemiah 2 verse 17. Come, let us rebuild. They're powerful words, aren't they? It's a powerful invitation to join in the work, the good work that God was doing through Nehemiah. Well, friends, God is calling us to a good work, a rebuilding work, a spiritual renovation in the Napa Valley and beyond. Come and get a coffee with me one day and I'll tell you the whole story. But I can tell you right now that God's hand has been on this project since before most of us had the first inkling about it. God has brought together people in the most unusual of circumstances over the last 25 years at least that have led us to the point where we're reopening a renovated church campus in two weeks' time. It cannot be a coincidence. You couldn't write the story that God's been writing about the renovation of Yonville Community Church because... Nobody would believe that it's come together the way it has. But God is writing the history of his people. And he has been writing this chapter exactly as he wants it to be. And I I can't wait to see what the next chapter holds as he opens the doors of this little church in the Vale. It's not something you want to miss. And what I love about Nehemiah chapter 3 is the way that everybody gets involved in the rebuilding. 
Uh, there are priests who build, there are Levites, people who worked in the temple. There are goldsmiths who work on the wall. There are perfume makers who work on the wall. There are governors and district rulers who get involved. Uh, one man goes out with his daughters. Uh, other, other men's sons all join together, repairing sections of the wall. Uh, there are no stonemasons mentioned. There are no artisan or craftsman builders. Just the people of God rolling up their sleeves and joining in where they're needed. Well, brothers and sisters, now is the time to roll up our sleeves and join in where we're needed for the rebuilding of Yonville Community Church. Uh, we may need you to help in an area that's not especially your gifting, but maybe that's just what we need to rebuild this first stage of our church. Uh, that most likely means serving on a team. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and get you involved. Others of you won't be able to help physically. I understand that but I still want you to join us in the vital ministry of prayer. I lift up the church, pray God-shaped prayers, I pray for those who are laboring, pray for God to provide what we need, pray for God to do what is impossible, pray for me. But mostly pray that God would rebuild his church from the ruins. Why don't we pray that now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise that no matter where we are around the world, that if we return to you, you will gather us and bring us back into your presence. We thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you pour out your Holy Spirit, you give us forgiveness, and you, are, you build your kingdom in and through us, uh, the kingdom that is here in the world now, and your kingdom that is coming. Father, help us, uh, embolden us, strengthen us, restore us to come and rebuild this church. Uh, by your Spirit, uh, give us what we need. Uh, Father, we do pray that you would bring more people to us, people who can join us in the work, people who are far away from you and who will learn about Jesus for the first time. And so, Father, we pray that you would honour our prayer to help us share the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond so that Jesus will be glorified, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.